Welcome back to Blurred Out. What's up, everybody? How we doing? We are officially off break. That means One Piece is back. Chapter 11,004. And it's a good one. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then I'm going to talk about some, some anime stuff. Just some stuff that I've been watching and catching up on since I've been binging a lot. Now, as always, there are going to be spoilers in both the chapter talk and the anime talk. So if you haven't read the latest chapter... If you haven't seen some of the anime please check that out before you listen and just so you know you can find the other formats of the podcast down in the description below now we ended off the last chapter with the the kuma punch the punch that everyone was wondering will it land will it not land well, let me tell you it landed and it landed amazingly like not only does kuma land his punch he actually ends up following through and sends saturn flying and while this is good for Kuma top 30 stocks, I think it's it's nice to look at Kuma as a strong figure portrayed to his bounty, or at least to his status as a pirate. Because we already knew Kuma was strong, but we really didn't have the physicals to match that strength. A lot of Kuma was his devil fruit and what he could do with that fruit. But here we're just getting raw strength. And because of his race being a buccaneer, that's just a natural element to him. So not only does he land a punch, but he sends Saturn flying through buildings. It's a strong punch. And I mean, the, the artwork, the paneling for it is amazing. Like you get the, the slow-mo, the punch connecting to his face, and then you get the follow-through. Kuma swinging his arm around, just knocking Saturn. There's blood everywhere. And Kuma actually does like some... I don't want to call it serious damage, but like Saturn's bleeding, his horns broken, his arms messed up. Like Kuma knocked him. And like in the midst of Kuma punching Saturn, Saturn actually reveals that he initiated the self-destruct when they first took Kuma. So after the revolutionaries, like Saba went to Mary Joy, they they only fought everybody and took Kuma out. Saturn actually triggered that self-destruct. But it didn't go off. So Saturn is sitting here like, how are you here right now? I should have destroyed you. And this is kind of what I was thinking about. I was like, I know it's going to come into play at some point. It turns out that Vegapunk actually just triggered Kuma's body to shut down completely. So he wouldn't blow up because he didn't want Kuma to be a bomb. But it would just turn off his body. So after Saturn's launched away and Kuma kind of takes a second, he actually starts kneeling. Like, it, it almost seems like He's running out of energy. But he still has enough to like pick up Bonnie and Krayler in his arms. Like at this point, Kuma is just straight up operating on Kuma instinct. Like the the cyborg part of him technically should be shut down at this point. Even that being said, he's still like he's not talking, he's not acting like a human. He's still acting like a robot. But it's almost like the robot's actions, like the cyborg part of Kuma is being influenced by his instincts. So like no commands, no programs, no no higher up levels of intricate coding are running him right now. It's like Kuma's running his own computer. And as Vekapunk's analyzing it, he's like, this goes beyond science. Because what I made you do, I still kept my word in the fact that once they activate that mechanism, you would no longer be operational. 
So he's like, even if you didn't explode, you should still not be moving. And he talks about Buccaneers having basically a different characteristic other than just like being physically strong. Now, they don't mention what the characteristic is, but they they allude heavily to it being the reason why Kuma's acting the way he is. So it's not just that Kuma's operating on instinct. There is a special characteristic to Buccaneers that is allowing him to operate this way. What that could be, I'm not entirely sure, because it's very specific, right? Like, his, his lineage has special traits, but what kind of trait would allow you to keep your senses after being genetically modified? Like, it's, that's so specific. But whatever it is, it's keeping Kuma moving at this point in time. And it might be the thing that possibly saves him, brings him back, because... Like I said, I expected Kuma to kind of be destroyed. And it seems like they're working on some kind of way to save him. And like we get this really touching moment of Kuma hugging Bonnie. And Bonnie's like in her child form and she's saying, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody calls you. They can call you a tyrant. They can call you evil. She knows how kind and cool her dad is. She knows who Kuma is. So she's like, forget all that. I know you. You're the greatest dad in the world. And all this time, Akuma's expressions doesn't change. He just looks almost like he did when he was at Thriller Bark, where no matter what was happening, he kind of kept that same stoic face, like the frown, the stare. That's kind of how he's looking right now. Honestly, I was expecting him to, like, crack a little bit of a smile after Bonnie said all that, but not nah, nothing. So I'm wondering if he's, like, legitimately running out of steam here, and it's kind of the the final hours i don't know i'm still on the fence about if he lives or dies of course i want him to live but i don't want him to be stuck as you know a, a mindless cyborg that's just operating on instinct if he's gonna live i want him to be the kuma that you know we've seen in the flashback the kuma that we kind of got to know all the while they're having that touching moment we're getting panning shots and two of them in particular are of kizaru and Sintamaru. now they both seem happy about what's happened here, which is specifically odd for Kizaru. Kizaru is supposed to be on Saturn's side, and we know that he's a lot more affiliated with Kuma and Vegapunk than we initially thought, but eventually it seemed like he kind of just flipped completely to the world government. Although here, it really seems like he's having conflicting thoughts about, you know, fighting for Saturn or helping his quote-unquote friends because we get the panel on Kizaru saying it's over isn't it and it honestly I don't know what he means by that is he saying it's over as in like the the guise of him being like you know pro-justice is over is it his friendship that he had you know with Kuma and Vegapunk being over I think that one makes more sense because at the end of the chapter Vegapunk's like you have no heart at all so I think it might just be, actually now that I think about it, it could also be related to the Buster call. He could be stressed out like, okay, so Gorosei just got punched. This is leagues and steps higher above punching a Celestial Dragon, which he was also there for. So he was like, okay, so he punched a Gorosei. Whatever is happening here is over. They're about to blow this island up. 
I already know it. It could be that. Now I think about it, I think that might have the most credence to it. And in this time, Saturn ends up making his way back to the battlefield, and he's still messed up. Like, he not only did he get launched far away, like I said earlier, his arm was messed up, his horns messed up, but like, they're gone messed up. And he's like bleeding completely out of his face. Like, it's not just superficial damage, it looks like he actually took some damage. That being said, he simply just starts reforming. And like, Sanji looks at it and says his body's regenerating. It, it looks so much different because it's almost like the air around him is creating some kind of material that he can reform from. Because normally when you see regeneration, you see like, like his arms gone. So you would see his, the, the tendons, like the bone grow out of the stump on his arm and make a new arm. Instead, it's like pieces of arm and horn are forming out of the air and just like linking together. So whatever regeneration this is, I think it has to do with like the, the shadow powers that kind of come with the Gorosei or a possible dove fruit infusion. Uh, Saturn reforms his body and goes to attack Kuma because at this point Kuma can't move. Like I said, he pretty much exhausted all his energy and he did everything he could just to pick up Bonnie. So like everything else is pretty much out of the case. Sanji blocks that strike and then we get Frankie coming in and Frankie shoots a radical beam straight through Saturn and this is kind of the difference I want to denote in the damage because when he shoots the radical beam through Saturn Saturn really doesn't seem all that affected by it like obviously there's a hole in him and he regenerates that hole but other than that he has like no recoil no like ah at most it's just a shock that he shot a beam through so i think a lot of what gives saturn his powers is devil fruit related if i had to guess because just because the hockey punch did so much damage i mean of course you've got kuma's strength behind that but still i think hockey has a lot more to play which means if we get some more hockey feats from Luffy, maybe, who, oddly enough, disappeared this chapter. We might see some more damage on Saturn. So the Rackle Beam does nothing, and Kizaru takes that opportunity to launch an attack. Basically, he's limiting on how, when he first saw his triads in Sabodi, you know, it's a very similar situation. Someone high up the world government got punched last time being Slash Dragon, this time being Gorosei. And he's there to clean up the mess. And he's like, you guys have gotten stronger, but let's see how strong you got. And he hits Frankie with a kick that I'm pretty sure is very similar to how he got rid of Roche. Like, Roche, he did like a back kick, but with Frankie, he just straight up kicked him in the face. But he sends him crashing through buildings and stuff. So I think Frankie might be out for a little bit. It's not going to put him down, but we might not see him for a couple chapters. We might see some other characters start fighting. And in that time, Vegapunk takes the opportunity to start moving Kuma away. So he has Atlas pick up Kuma and they're trying to get him to lab strap. I really wonder what Vegapunk's plan is to do with Kuma's body. Because at this point, you can see him trying to repair it. But I mean, it really feels like the, the main parts of Kuma are truly dead. Like unless Vegapunk did something else and stored some, some kind of personality basis for kuma somewhere else i 
I don't know. What are they going to do with him? Obviously, they don't want him to be, like, destroyed, but are they just going to have him, you know, sit around somewhere? Especially if there's a muster call coming, you know, they can't sit in here. Then we go back to Kizaru talking about Basically, there's too many players on the board, and I think that means that there's too much going on here right now. And they go ahead and initiate a buster call. And this is what I was talking about earlier, but Vegapunk basically says Kizaru has no heart. And whether it's for the buster call or whether it's for how they're trying to treat Kuma, I think it hits a certain level because Kizaru mentions needing a darker pair of shades. Which I take it to be, he's about to start crying and he doesn't want people to be able to see through his glasses. And if that's the case, that really changes the way I see Kizaru as a character. Because for the most part, Kizaru has been portrayed as a character that just doesn't care like about anything. He's so laid back, so aloof, so basically out of it that nothing really affects him. The fact that this is going to get him to cry of all things or like to to show some kind of emotion that he would consider embarrassing himself is a big character turn. And I feel like that's going to come into play because I don't think he's going to be able to eliminate any of his friends. He's not going to eliminate Sentamaru. He's not going to do it to Vegapunk. He's not going to do it to Kuma. But he's got Saturn back here. And if Saturn doesn't get the results he wants, he's always going to be on the pace for it. So... He's in a really tough spot. Ultimately, he's going to side with Saturn, but I want to see what happens when he tries to enact anything. And the chapter ends with Saturn basically doing a rundown of what Egghead has, which is a survivor of Ohara, a survivor of the Munkineer race, uh, God Nika, basically a bunch of things that they've been trying to hide and failed at completely. Like, if anything, this chapter is a really good example of the world government failing. Because you have, like, Kuma, who didn't even have a self-destruct. You know, he's still fine. They were supposed to have control of him, but they don't. You have a survivor of Ohara, who wasn't supposed to exist. They tried to get rid of, still here. You have the god Nika, who they've been trying to hide for centuries and trying to eliminate for centuries. Still here. Like, everything they've been trying to do... And failed at is shown on this island so it makes sense that they would buster call it obviously the buster call isn't going to do anything like this is what buster call three that we've kind of seen enacted it's not like, they're going to destroy egghead but but you know what's that going to do and honestly i'd be surprised if vegapunk didn't have certain protections against that like they can't just destroy his brain, which is like the, the center of the island. That's a wealth of knowledge. And I know that they've destroyed, you know, with a knowledge before, but this isn't just books. This is somebody's brain that's being stored here. So they destroy that. I feel like that in a way either kills Vegapunk or severely nerfs him. So I'm thinking next chapter, we're either going to have the return of Luffy doing something, or we're going to see what's happening on the Buster Call side of things. Because that means there's a couple of Vice Admirals here, I think at least five Vice Admirals, and they're about to start 
unloading on the island, which means all the Marines, all the government people are going to try and leave. Now, you can't see Kizaru and Saturn just been like, all right, see you guys later. Because one, Puma's powers make it very easy to get away from Buster Call. So they've got to make sure that everything on the island is securely eradicated. And clearly, Robin's escaped a Buster Call three times, so... If they don't do anything to assure that she's gone this time, that'd be just another fault on the world government. Now, I think because a lot of the, the action, you know, double page spreads, things like that, this chapter felt kind of short, but it was still solid. Like, I mean, honestly, seeing that punch follow through, that was all I needed. I could have just had that panel. I would have been fine. I'd been like, all right, see you next chapter. But we got a whole lot more. Now, I think we're not on break. So we should begin a chapter next week that follows through with this. On to the anime side of things. A few updates on One Piece. So we got Monsters coming out on Netflix on the 25th this month. January 25th. I've seen like the 10 second preview, but I really haven't seen a whole lot about it. I've kind of just been avoiding it just so I can, you know, watch it and enjoy it. I'll probably end up talking about that on the next cast because it should be. I guess it, it would be out that day, probably. Because usually the chapters come out on Thursday-ish, so I might have a chapter and monsters on the same day. Also on Netflix for One Piece. So they added Egghead to the the seasons of One Piece they're showing on Netflix. But they skipped Marineford and everything. Well, they didn't skip Marineford. They skipped everything after Marineford. So if you're watching One Piece on Netflix and you get to Marineford, it skips immediately to Egghead. Which means you either get super spoiled or you gotta go somewhere else to watch. Now, I haven't watched the latest episodes for Egghead. I watched the opening and I enjoyed that. But I haven't watched the episodes yet. Um, I've been running through a lot of different anime. I was behind on so much, so I had to, to binge watch and catch up on stuff. I'm still behind. But so far, I've gone through, I think, about six or seven animes so far. Just a bunch of different genres. Like, I watched Demon Slayer and Jutsu Kaisen, the, the newest seasons of those. And I mean, Demon Slayer, it is what it is. Animation's great. You know, the story's cool, I guess, but... I feel like there's just not a lot to say about Demon Slayer after it's over. Like, it's so hype when it's happening, you know, like, week to week. But once it ends, you're just like, okay, cool. I'll be here next time. I'm like, let me know when next season's out. I'll catch it. But there's not a whole lot to talk about. Jujutsu Kaisen, on the other hand, that came on real strong. Like, I remember one of the reveries... They were talking about the Shibuya arc in Jutsu Kaisen, the manga, being the best thing of the year compared to where One Piece was at in the manga. And I was like, that can't be. And I, I haven't even heard of Jutsu Kaisen. How is it better than, than the One Piece arc? And I think it was a point in which One Piece was going through a slow period, like probably not a lot of action, not a lot of major players, but build-up. One Piece build-up is... It's known to take a little bit, and it moves slow. But it's necessary for a world this big. And people were like, oh yeah, Shibuya arc, that should be like the top arc. And it had always 
interested me to start watching it, but I was like, eh, I'll wait. Eventually, I, I came around, watched it, and you know, I thoroughly enjoyed Jutsu Kaisen. Like, it's, it's solid. It is solid. The animation is on point. The story is enjoyable. I, well, I'm not gonna say I like all the characters, because I don't, I don't like, eh, I don't like a lot of the characters, to be honest. And I have a thing about generally the MCs of most shows. I just, I don't know, MCs don't do it for me. I think the, whenever I think of an MC that I like, I always go back to Rei Kiriyama from Three Gods in No Line. That's, that's my MC. That's my number one. Afterwards, I would have to seriously think and figure out there's other MCs that I like. So like, I'm not a big fan of Yuji. He's alright, but I mean, he just seems boring. Like, if you took Sukuna away from Yuji, what do you have? It's just Yuji. I don't like his fighting is just brawling. Like, there's he's not super unique, I guess. Now, my favorites are like Maki, Nanami, Gojo, of course. Like, I I like those characters. Like I said, there are gonna be some spoilers here, so I. I did feel it when they got Nanami like that. That took me some time to get used to. I actually enjoyed how they handled Nabara, and I hope they keep it that way because I think that's a good, a good method of raising stakes and situational awareness in a show. Like it's one thing to take out a secondary popular cast member, but to, to go into the main trio and mess things up. That's, I like that take. You don't see it as often, especially in like the the general like action type shows. I'm excited to see what they go through next. I also watched Goblin Slayer, which is just, it's just a fun time, you know? You're just watching a dude hunt goblins. There's not a huge thing behind it. There's not like a, well, there's probably like an overlapping story and stuff, but I'm not as into it like that. I kind of just, like watching this dude hunt goblins it's fun i watched both seasons of eminence and shadow that's also a fun time i i have been growing more and more to like isekais and especially isekais where the main character is just overpowered it's just it's a really good time and to the point where like they're overpowered they're aware of it and it's more of a situational awareness of others than it is for the main character like, I don't really like the main character that's overpowered, but it's like, oh, I don't want to do this and that, or, oh, I'm afraid to do this and that. I don't understand my powers. Sid knows who he is. He knows he's that guy, and he takes full advantage of it. And he's not even, like, a, a good, like, he's not a good person. He's very selfish, very self-centered. Everything he does is to look cool. He doesn't care if it's good or bad. He just wants to look cool. And I like that about him. That makes it far more enjoyable to watch i caught masamune kun's revenge r which you know rom-coms gotta have those in there a little mix of everything enjoyed that too got a nice little bow on that story uh if you haven't really stepped into the world of rom-coms i think masamune kun's a good one like i really didn't mess with the rom-com world until i got into kaguya-sama that was my major introduction to it. 
And then that kind of led to me watching more just like romance themed anime in general. Like, you know, you have your Toradoras, you have your Horimiyas. Uh, my personal favorite, Snafu. If you haven't watched Snafu, go watch Snafu. It's really good. But Masamune Kun is, it's also a really good one. Like, it's not too intricate where, like, it, it has, you know, like, overlapping storylines and this, this, and that connecting this to that and the other. But it's a really good story. Fun characters, fun moments, just a good time. And I caught up to Spy Family, the second season. Now, this one I was late to. Uh, I pretty much watched all the other stuff before I did Spy Family. And boy, did I miss it. Like, there's something about Spy Family that's refreshing. Because at its heart, it's a family show. Not family isn't like intended for your family, but it's a, a show about a family. Like that's what it is at its heart. Now you have the the hidden identities of all the the family members, but that's kind of maybe not secondary. I'd say those two things kind of line up side by side. Like you have two main themes, and that's the family, and that's life outside the family. Uh, this season specifically, I felt like focused more on your, which I liked. Because last time it was it was almost like the hierarchy was Lloyd. Anya, your as far as like the importance of storylines and how things carried out. This time I felt like it was your Anya, Lloyd. And I mean, I like all three of those characters, so I don't really care whose story they focus on the most, but I like that they're, you know, rotating it, giving everybody a chance. I also ended up watching a horror anime, Dark Gathering. Now, I don't really mess with the horror genre, and I don't really know that many horror anime in general passed me by while I was looking at some other anime so I was like you know what I'll check it out and it was genuinely creepy like it's a show about you know these three characters hunting spirits trying to basically collect them all to make a army of strong spirits to fight another strong spirit you know, there's a whole backstory involved in that but it's got like genuine creepy elements to it which I don't see as often in anime even ones that are meant to like weird you out a little bit or kind of like scare you or creep you out a little bit. Like this one, I was like, oh man, that's unsettling. I still posit that the most unsettling thing is one of the trio. There's a girl called Aiko, who is the main character's like childhood friend. And she's kind of like the generic. Well, she she plays the role of like the generic best friend slash love interest you know kind of airhead goes along for the ride isn't really involved in everything like the others are but still takes part but behind the scenes he's a weirdo he's a creep she's possibly insane i don't know something about her is terribly off and the show gives you like little little pinches of her just being completely creepy and then they kind of like move on I don't know how to explain it. I like the way they do it, but I have no idea how to explain it. But that's pretty much what I've watched so far. I still have a lot to catch up on. I think I'm gonna dive into Raren next because that's like the highest rated anime I'm now right now. And I have no idea why. I've been told it was good. I don't really know what it's about, like what genre it is or anything like that, but if it's that highly ranked, then I gotta check it out to at least see, you know, 
what it's talking about. I gotta finish Zom 100. It was like three episodes because I had that hiatus that I had to catch up on. There are like seasonals this season that I got to catch up on. Like I think there's some new rom-coms. There's some new like a lot of non-action anime. I feel like with Demon Slayer and Jutsu Kaisen, all that kind of stuff kind of did their thing. Now it's the non-action side of things. Like we're gonna get more romance, more comedy, more slice of life, more isekai. That's kind of what this season feels like, and I'm all here for it. Of course, I would love recommendations if you guys have like anime that you think are just goaded that I haven't seen yet. Let me know. I will catch you guys on the next cast. Bye.